0: Life, it's a pretty big deal for each and every one of us. And in fact, if I was just to ask you, and there's not really a right or wrong answer for it, but if I was just to call out and say, hey, give me one word that you have that would describe life. Uh, What words might you come up with? Loud. I'm deaf. One more time. Hard. Hard. See, hard of hearing when you get to be 53, you know, but you're right. Hey, life's hard, isn't it? It's not just happy, happy, joy, joy. Life's hard. Uh, What else? Fascinating. Fascinating. It's true, isn't it? I mean, as you go through life, you see things you didn't think you'd ever see. I mean, you go to Eagle's concert, and all of a sudden you see the constellations and the launch. I mean, it's just fascinating, isn't it? What else? Chaos. Chaos. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. True. It's hard. It's fascinating, but it's chaotic. Because, once again, what makes it fascinating also makes it chaotic. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And sometimes you wake up and it's just tough. Anything else? Confusing. 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 It gets confusing. It gets gets chaotic. One more thing. Changing. Changing, Never-ending change. The only thing that's constant in our lives and world is change. Constant change is here to stay as the drummer for Rush wrote in one of his lyrics. Uh, But it's true. Well, today, one word I'm going to throw at you that describes all of life itself, I think, is relationship. Each and every aspect of our life revolves around relationships. In fact, you even have a relationship with something as silly as your vehicle. For instance, let's say I go out one morning, go out to the driveway put the keys in the old 1994 Gator van, you know, getting ready for work, turn the ignition, turn it again, try to jump it off, nothing happens. Well, what do I do? Well, if you're like me, you go lift up the hood, and you do the guy thing. You just look, you know. You look like you know what you're talking about, and it's like, oh, let me check the oil. Okay, yeah, there's oil. It's not that. Battery, okay, I tried to jump it off, it's not that. And then, you know, eventually I, you know, maybe kick the tire, slam the hood, but I have to call a tow truck driver. I have to call a garage to deal with the tow truck driver. I have to deal with the people at the garage. And then, lastly, but not leastly, I have to deal with my boss, right? And can you see how even, you know, something as simple as that? everything in our life revolves around relationships and relationships can get complicated. You know, even in art, even like in music, when you listen to music and popular music, what are most songs about? They're about relationships or about love. And you know, when you watch the movies, what are most movies about when someone's not getting blown up? They're about love. They're about relationships, restored relationships, broken relationships. It's just the way that God designs us. And in fact, God himself is a relational being. And the first verse that I want to show you on the outline is Genesis 1.1. First sentence in the Bible. It's pretty big. It's important. We looked at it when I taught on creation. But it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And the reason I show you that is because that word God in the Hebrew and its original text is Elohim. And the, the reason I tell you that, it's not to sound smart, because I learned it from other people, but but Elohim, the grammar in it, is both singular and plural, which is interesting. You see, God himself is a relationship, And if you've been around Christianity long, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a little confusing. We can't get our arms around it. But the thing you got to understand about God and about you is God himself is a relationship. And he's always been a relationship. And he always will be a relationship. Watch this later in Genesis. Then God said, let us, notice the grammar in there, us, plural, make human beings in what? Not in my, let me make human beings in my, no. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You see it everywhere. God is a relationship. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he created us in his likeness, which means we are relational beings and we're designed for relationships. You can't get away from it. You just cannot. He's a triune God. And it's, you know, it's important for you also to know that God, before he created human beings, was completely content without creating us. Why do you think he was content? And the reason that it's important to know is because God didn't create us because he was a needy being. Oh, I'm lonely. I need some people. No. And the Bible systematically is very clear. God was completely satisfied, completely content in his own being by himself. Why? Why? Well, because he's a relationship, because he's complex, because he's diverse. He didn't need us, but he created us. We were created for relationship because we were created like him. And the first point that I want to make, why did God create us? If He didn't need us. He's a relational being. He has relationships. Why did God create us? Well, he created us because he's a creative being. And John teaches us that God's love. And that's the next verse. But check this out. You know, the Hubble telescope. Who's seen the pictures on the Hubble telescope? Raise your hand. Just a few. You ought to go online. You ought to say, pictures from Hubble. As it goes further, as it goes deeper into space, they're discovering new parts of the universe. And I'm like, wow. In fact, one of the best things for God in my opinion, in the last 10 years or so, is the Hubble telescope. Because, I mean, those pictures that they bring, it's like, oh, wow, wow, no one's ever seen that. And yet you could see that God's just so creative. And he's just immensely creative. And yet we're created in his image, so we're creative beings too. That's why we love art. That's why we do music. That's why we do those kind of things. But ultimately, God created us, not just because he's a creative being, but because he's a loving being. He created us to love us. John wrote this, 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is what? He is love. He describes him. You want to know how to describe God? God is love. And it's the most beautiful, I think, description of God and accurate. So God being creative and God being love created us to love. And let me ask you this. Did God create us a lot different from himself? some ways yeah i mean we don't we're not omniscient thank goodness we don't i mean some of us think we're omniscient you know if you're a teenager omniscient means all-knowing knowing knowing everything if you're a teenager you know you think you're omniscient but then you get a little older and you know it's funny i'm 53 and i know less now than i knew when i was 15 how's that work you get smarter right you realize you don't know and we're not omnipotent we're not all powerful thank goodness human beings aren't all powerful You know, can you imagine if the wrong person got that much power? You know, but in many ways, we are like God. We're image bearers of God. We can love. We can think. We make decisions. We create. We're much like him in so many ways. And we're relational. The difference in us and God is we are dependent on one another for our relationships. We're going to look at that over this three-part series a little bit. God's kind of content, but we need each other because we all have different, we're different slices of the pie that when we come together, we create the sum of our togetherness is so much more than individually. So God created us like him, and we do bear the image and likeness of God. He's a relational God. We're relational beings, and we were created for relationships. And here's relational fact number one I want to share with you, and this is huge. Like if you ignore me the whole time and just fall asleep today, that's cool. But if you can get this and take this home with you, this is the sermon. This is it the quality and young people don't miss this the quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life that is a fact the quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life see the way we are because we're broken and sinful beings we think man if i could just get this if i could just do that i could just get this job if i could i mean we don't fill in the blank if i could just have quality relationships my life would be out we usually don't go there we think things, status, you know what I mean? If I could just get that job, if I could just own that house for boat, car, whatever. But ultimately, it's the relationships that determine the quality of your life. If you have high-quality relationships, you're going to have a high-quality life. If you have very low-quality, shallow relationships, the quality of your life is just it's, it's so low, you know? And it impacts us so much. And we just don't generally think that way. But because of that fact, we need to look at relationships. We need to take a look at ourselves and try to figure out how can we have high-quality relationships. It's huge in our life. See, it's not how much money you have. And let me say this. I've had the honor being in ministry of being bedside with people when it was the very end of their life. Where they're going to die. And do you know, of all those times, not once did I hear anyone say, Hey, can you bring me a picture of my property? Hey, Lenny, would you go get my 401k? Hey, can you show me that classic car one more time? Not once did I ever hear that. You know what I heard? I want to see him. I want to see her. In fact, when someone dies well, they say they were what? Surrounded by what? Family and loved ones. Because let me tell you something. When the rubber hits the road, it's relationships that matter. It's relationships that count. And it's the relationships that you carry on into eternity. And God's so concerned that we would have healthy, vibrant relationships. And we got to get this. Money and power and success and wealth just don't bring quality of life. How many times do we see on the news some famous, rich, successful person that's just miserable and their life's a mess? It's just common. Sometimes we chase after those things. You know, there was a lyric in one of the songs Charlie did. We run after the small. <laughs> so, and it's so true. I saw that. It just jumped off the screen at me. I'm like, boy, that's me. I run after the small. When God has bigger, more purposeful things for our lives. You know what those big purposeful things are called? Relationships. How you treat one another. I'm an old rocker, some of you know, played drums, and they got the pictures, they make fun of me, but Kurt Cobain, I often think of him when I think about relationships, and I think about quality of life. Kurt Cobain was a uh, uh, leader of a band in the 90s called Nirvana, and uh, Nirvana at that time was one of the top 10 bands of the in the world. They were huge, and uh, he's an amazing poet, just wrote lyrics that were pretty much unbelievable, and you know... Uh, people were just all around Kurt during those years. And I mean, everybody wanted to be around him. He had reached, he had reached the pinnacle of his career. wealth, fame, popularity, success surrounded him. And interestingly enough, the word Nirvana means euphoria. And you would think that his life would just be euphoric because of all the success. And yet many of you know that Kurt actually at the height of his career took his own life. And when you look at his life, and if you ever read about it and listen to his friends and family, they would say, at best, he was distant. And when you read his lyrics, and I'm not knocking him as an artist. I'm using him as an illustration because he was a fantastic artist. But when you read the amazing deep lyrics that he wrote, you hear words of desperation and words of loneliness. And my point in talking about him is this. The quality of his life, even though he had seemingly had everything, was not high. And there's one reason my theory is. It's because his relationships were not where they needed to be. And God wants all of us to have healthy relationships. But here's the reality. Relationships are what? Very simple or very complex? They're complex. They're difficult. Because life's complex. It's chaotic. It's, you know, you never know. It's hard. And God gave us the Bible for this reason, to help us navigate relationships, period. <laughs> See, people think the Bible is a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, young man. Don't do that. Don't cross that line. Don't do this. Do what I say. Do what I say. But it really, if you look at it, all of the commands in the Bible, all the do's and don'ts are there to protect relationships, to protect relationships that we have with one another, that we have with him. And it's very important to understand this. It's a relational book. You read it, it's about God, it's about him, his relationship with us, he created us. It's about the restoration of that relationship that we threw away. We don't need you, God, we can go on our own. And Jesus, what did he do for us? He reconciled us to God. He came and God sacrificed so that our relationships could be better. And relationships are experienced on three primary levels, and I want to look at those. And level number one is we have a relationship with ourselves. Bill talked about this a little bit. In fact, one of the people who taught me some of this stuff that I'm sharing with you today was Mr. Bill Underwood. In fact, he wrote part of the sermon. Actually, he might not even remember it, but I just want to throw him a bone there and taught me some of this stuff 15, 16 years ago. But did you know that you have a relationship with yourself? You do. And people go, Lenny, you might have a relationship with yourself, but I don't have a relationship with myself. That's just weird. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever talk with yourself? And I'm just kind of joking there. Do you answer? I tell my mother-in-law all the time, I pick on her, and she, I go, Graham, are you all right? Yeah, I'm just talking to myself. And, she, she, and I said, it's okay. I go, do you answer yourself? She goes, yeah, sometimes I answer myself. And I go, that's okay. I go, do you talk to your cat? She's like, oh, yeah. And I go, does your cat answer you? And she goes, no. And I go, we're okay, you know. <laughs> you know if, the, if the cat starts answering her in English, we got a problem. But, uh, but we do have a relationship with ourselves. And here's the thing. Do you ever wrestle with any deep issue? Of course you do. That's relating. Do you have an opinion of yourself? Of course you do. So you do have a relationship with yourself. And we have a relationship with one another. But here's the thing. Oftentimes in my relationship with myself, either I go one or two different places. Either I think too much of myself. That's me. That's just the way I'm wired up. It's called pride you know, I'm 53. I still think I'm cool. My kids remind me I'm not. But we either think too much of ourselves, or maybe I have my relationships broken with myself because I don't think highly enough. Oh, uh, you know, Eeyore theology. I'm just a sinner. When we go through life thinking less of ourselves, well, God wants us to be centered. In him and have a healthy relationship with ourself. And that's the first part. You gotta have a healthy relationship with yourself. Relationship level two is we have relationships with one another. And you're like, okay, we know that. It's very big. We relate with people. I don't need to explain that a whole lot and what's going on with inside of us. But because life's complicated and because those two levels of relationships can get really messed up and complicated, the third level of relationship that we have is the most important relationship. And relationship level number three is the relationship that we have with God. The reason this is the most important is because that's the only thing that's going to help us have a relationship healthy with one another and a relationship with us. It takes God to help me to look at myself in the mirror clearly and to admit when I'm wrong. It takes God to help me re- realize, wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It takes God to help me understand, boy, I wronged Charlie. I need to apologize. I was a jerk yesterday. I wasn't really, but, uh, but I will be sooner or later, if you know me long enough. But that takes God, because if God's out of the equation, man, we're just walking through life blindly and relationally broken, and our relationships are not healthy, and then the quality of my life goes down and down and down. And we tend to be, as I mentioned earlier, self-centered. And when something goes wrong, we tend to do this blame game thing. Have you ever done that? You know, it wasn't me. It was, you know, I don't know if you heard about uh, Ralph and Emma. They were married for 55 years, and they had been through so much together. And Ralph finds himself at the end of a 55-year marriage in the hospital in a coma. And he would actually come out of the coma for a few moments and then fall back into it. Well, one morning he's in the hospital, and he comes out of his coma long enough to see Ethel by his side. She'd been there the whole time. She refused to leave, and he motioned for her to bend down to him so she could hear him. And he said, Ethel, we've been through so much together. And she goes, I know, Ralph. He says, you know, you've always been there through the difficult times. And she said, I know, honey. He said, you know, Ethel, when I was young and lost my job, you, were, you stuck with me. And when I got back on my feet and and foolishly gambled away all our savings, you stuck with me. Because, Ethel, remember the time I got robbed and I was disabled for months? You took care of me. And when I started that business and we lost the house, you were with me through and through. Ralph says, You know, now that my health has failed, you're here by my side. Ralph looks at Elfo and he goes, You know what I figured out, honey? And she goes, what's that with loving eyes? He goes, you're bad luck. <laughs> I want to be funny, but don't we do that? Don't we kind of figure out where someone else messed up and not ourselves? You know, we tend to look for a target and blame people. And you know, people have been doing this since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. It started all in the garden. In fact... Check this out. Genesis 3, 11 and 12. God comes to them after they had done what he said not to do. He said, trust me. And they go, oh, no. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Look what the man, this is Adam, this is what Adam says. Okay, this makes us look bad, men, but this is true. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and ate it. In other words, I'm not going to take responsibility for what I did wrong. It's that woman. And in fact, wait a minute, who created her? It was your fault, God. Point, point, blame, blame. We've been doing it ever since. We come by it naturally. Refuse to take responsibility. You know, I don't know why my wife doesn't know where my shoes are 24-7. But it's always her fault, right? Or maybe it's just because I left them somewhere and I ought to remember where I left my shoes. But we all need God's help to see clearly and relate to one another in a healthy manner. And, you know, I often tell young couples who are starting off in life, you need God at the center of your marriage because marriage is really easy, right? No, it's complex, and it's hard, and we need forgiveness, and we need to extend grace. We need to apologize, and that's why we need God, to help us navigate the turbulent waters of relationship. I said earlier most of us either think too much of ourselves or not enough do you know and as I grew up in life and still I carry this I have to be honest that my problem has always been arrogance in fact if you would have met me when I was 23 and playing in a rock band I was like hey what's up you know I just thought so much of myself well do you know what the root cause of arrogance is insecurity when I started walking with God, I realized, God, I'm so arrogant. Why am I so arrogant? Because I'm so insecure. I don't even think enough of myself to be able to deal with myself properly. So I put on this facade and act like I'm cool because really, I don't really believe that. And we got to understand who we are in Christ. And and God handles these insecurity issues. And if you're feeling insecure, here's what you got to realize about God and what he says about us. This is, what, this is what the psalmist writes. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. We're not conceited, but we understand that God made you specifically and designed you specifically with certain different gifts. And let me tell you something. God doesn't make junk, ever. So some people have this gift. Some people have that gift. you got to look in yourself in the mirror. Don't be arrogant. Don't be full of yourself. Understand you're a broken human being. But boy, your gifts, man, God made you the way that he made you. That's why when we gather together as the church, man, together we have power. Together we can do things. But don't ever look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm no good. God must have messed up. God doesn't make mistakes. Never. And you're not a mistake. You're wonderfully, fearfully made. And you have to understand that. You have to have healthy self-esteem. Because until you're okay with yourself, you'll never be okay with others. You'll never have the desired quality that God wants in our, our relationships. And do you know what that desired quality that God would have us have in our relationships with ourselves, with him, and with one another, do you know what that quality is? It's relationship fact number two. The quality God desires us to experience at each level of relationship is, it's a huge word, intimacy. Intimacy. Can anyone define intimacy? Intimacy, I think, can be best described as us just being open, honest, and trusting. I don't have to act like I got it all together because I don't. If I'm going to experience intimacy with you, I have to expose myself. You know, I had a thought a couple of months ago, I was thinking about God because I'm just a theological geek and I sit around trying to think, what is the Bible trying to tell us? And here's the thought I had, and I think it was from God. It's this, Christianity is a religion of exposure. What is that? It really is. It's different from every other religion because God desires that we expose ourselves to one another and to him. And people can't really know you until you expose yourself to them. So often I put up fronts or I put on a mask and I pretend to be something I'm not. You know why I do that? Because I falsely believe if I show you the real me, you won't love me. What's your name, young man? Jonathan. Jonathan? I wrongly think I got to act a certain way and then Jonathan will love me. But I can't show Jonathan who I really am because if I show him who I really am, he won't love me. So I pretend to be something that I'm not. But see, that's wrong. God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The reality of it is what the Bible teaches us. If I show Jonathan the truth, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go, yeah, I'm kind of like that too. And we get closer and we know each other better. And we share with one another. It's just an amazing thing. We do that because we falsely believe they're not going to like me. Well, I got news for you. Nobody's going to like you anyway unless you expose yourself. Because unless you show the real you, you don't give them the opportunity to like the real you, to love the real you. See, if I'm putting on masks and facades, I don't give Charlie the opportunity to love me because he doesn't know me. All he sees is these masks and mirrors and smoke. And it never becomes what God wants it to become in our lives. And our relationships are never healthy. They're never deep. They're never wide. We have to remember that God made us just the way we are. And we should not hide who we are, but we should expose it. Because only in exposing our true selves can we experience intimacy. And God wants that for each and every one of us. And he demonstrates this desire for intimacy in the creation story. Genesis 2, 4 through 6 and then 15 through 17 says this. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there was no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. In 15 and 17, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you will die. And did he die? You know how he died? Relationally. And we're going to see that. He died relationally. We see God's desired plan for relationship with the man. God wanted to and provided everything he needed by giving him a beautiful place to live and abundant food. And God had intimacy with the man. How do we know it? He trusted him. He put him in charge of everything. This relationship story continues Verses 8, 15 through 20, which say this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one of the animals. It's very important. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. And what Adam was doing there when naming the animals was he was calling out to them in the original language. He was like, gazelle. Oh, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Giraffe! Elephant! And none of them fulfilled him. None of them met his need. And he ended up lonely. But God didn't want Adam to be alone. So what did he do? He completed him. God completed him. 21 through 25, Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. When the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. In other words, it's not like the animals. This is different. She will be called woe man, or woman, because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united, what, into one. And this is the key. I want you to look at this verse. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. What does that mean? What do you think that means? That's a huge verse right there. They were naked, and yet they felt no shame. There was physical intimacy there between the man and his wife. But listen, here's the bigger thing. They completely exposed themselves to one another. No masks, no facades. No games, no lies. Adam's like, here I am. And she's like, here I am. Complete, total intimacy. Open, honest, trusting intimacy. The symbolic meaning was there was no barriers between the two. And God desired that people have the same kind of relationships with each other that they have with God. One without barriers and open, honest, and trusting intimacy. Pastor John Ortberg Very famous national pastor. He's out in California now. He writes this. I want to read what he wrote to you. It's so humble and so amazing. He writes this of the power of no secret friendships. He says, One of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a longtime friend and said, I don't want to have secrets anymore. He goes on to say, I told him everything I was most ashamed of. This is a famous pastor. I told him about my jealousies my cowardice, how I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about deceit and regrets that keep me up at night. I felt vulnerable because I was afraid that I was going to lose my connection with him. Much to my surprise, he did not even look away. I will never forget his next words. This is what his friend told him. John, he said, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. The very truth about me, John writes, that I thought would drive him away became a bond that drew us closer together. He says, he then went on to speak with me about secrets he had been carrying. And he says this, if I keep part of my life secret from you, you may tell me you love me, but inside I think that you would not love me if you knew the whole truth about me. See, I can only receive love from you to the extent that I am known by you. And that's the deep message. I can only receive love from you. God wants us to receive and give love to the extent that I am known by you. Anybody see the movie Avatar? Yeah, that was a great movie. You know, I mean, some Christians freaked out and said, don't watch that movie. But I loved it, man. I saw God in it. I remember that the natives there, they did not say, I love you. They said something different. They said this, I see you. And I loved that because what they were saying is everything's open, everything's clear. Yes, I love you, but I see you, I know you. And I just love that about this. And the timeless truth that I want you to get is I can only receive love from others to the extent that I am known by others. The more they know, the real you the more they're able to love you. And there's so much freedom in just being yourself. You don't have to pretend or play games. It's freeing. And more importantly than that, you'll develop relationships of intimacy with people that will transform the quality of your life. After all, the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life, not money, power, success, or anything else. Because you were made for relationships. But first you have to have a healthy relationship with yourself and most importantly with God in order to make all the other relationships happen the way they're supposed to be. Because it's, it's not about being religious. It's about being relationally healthy. That's what Christianity is all about. And Jesus put it this way. When the religious people of his day asked him, what was the most important scripture? What is the most important command? What did Jesus say? He said this. This is the most important. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which was the correct answer. But Jesus went on. He went on in attitude. He goes, that's the most important thing. To have that open, honest, trusting relationship with God. He goes, but the second is like unto it. What? Love your what? Neighbor. Neighbor as yourself. One another. And then he went on to say the mind-blowing thing. All the law and prophets. All the Bible. Hinge on this command. It's all about relationships. We were created for relationships and healthy relationships. And only in having healthy relationship with ourselves, with God, and with each other, can we ever realize what God wants us to in this life and experience the freedom, the joy, and the quality of life that comes with being a believer. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much that although we broke the relationship... You restored it. Lord, we ourselves thought we did not need you. And Lord, we hurt ourselves. We hurt our relationship with one another. We hurt our relationship with you. But Lord God, you would not leave it that way. You sacrificed because true love always gives. And you came and you became a a human being. And you showed us the way to relational freedom and God you died the death so that we could be reconciled yes to God but also to one another we didn't have to play games we could be free we could live life with intimacy open honest trusting caring relationship father we need your help in this holy spirit of God over these next weeks help each and every one of us have a clear and healthy relationship with ourselves. Father God, help us all have a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And Holy Spirit of God, empower us to deepen our relationships with one another. Until that day, when you gather us together at the wedding feast of the Lamb, and everything will be exposed, Lord, help us in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.